Well, we're going to return back to the book of Acts today, picking up right where we left off last Sunday. Has there ever been a truly significant event in your life that has led you to retell that story over and over again? Well, here in in Acts 10 and 11, we see an example of that. For Melanie and I, when we moved back to Wisconsin several years ago, we were going to be purchasing our first home. And we just kind of made an agreement. Let's pray that God would give us a wonderful story so that whenever someone came through the doors for the first time, we would be able to give him glory for providing this house for us. And you know, God answered that prayer. And virtually every time we have someone new that enters our home, we're able to share the story of how God provided. Well, it is unusual in the New Testament to see a story retold once, twice, or three different times. And if you were with us last week, in Acts chapter 10, Peter had an amazing experience where God broke through and opened his mind and heart to realize that the gospel message was not only for Jews, but is also for Gentiles. And so he shared that story twice in Acts 10. And by way of review today, we're going to read that story for the third time. So if you have your Bibles to Acts chapter 11, Let us consider the first 18 verses, and this will serve as a review of what we covered last week. Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, You went to the uncircumcised men and ate with them. But Peter began and explained it to them in order. I was in the city of Joppa, praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, by no means, Lord. Let me just pause there for a moment. One thing I appreciate about Peter is how honest he was, his transparency. I think you would agree with me that the words no and Lord do not belong in the same sentence. But this is actually what took place. And when Peter retells the story, he tells on himself, as if to tell the the full story. I wonder if that is why, or one of the reasons why, God used Peter as much as he did, because he was just transparent. This past week, I was recording a video that will be released later this week of, of a dear man that's a friend of our church that is really good at sharing the gospel. 
And I just wanted to talk to him about where that zeal comes and that passion comes. And, and over the course of his story, he said, you know, one day I was watching a preacher that I admire a lot. And he explained how he struggles with depression. And my friend who I interviewed that you'll get a chance to see later this week, he said, you know, I've struggled with depression for years. And it was just someone in the church that was just honest. And when they shared that, it gave me the freedom to be honest as well. Well, Peter here is setting an example for us. So let's not just go through this passage too quick. Let us notice what he does when he is honest about his own sin here. Let me back up and read verse 8 again. But I said, By no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven, What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and all was drawn up again into heaven. And behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were sent to me from Caesarea. And the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen the angel stand in his house and say, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who was called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and your household. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was, I, who was I that I could stand in God's way. When they heard these things, they fell silent, and they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. So the response here of these Jewish Christians is to glorify God. Because God has granted repentance to the Gentiles. You'll notice that repentance is not something that we can even manufacture on our own. God does that work in us. So then that leads to the next part here. That leads to the gospel coming to Antioch. Let's look at verse 19. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. Uh, Verse 19 here sounds very similar to Acts chapter 8, verse 4, where because of uh, a Christian named Stephen being killed, the Christians there in Jerusalem scattered. They got out of there out of threat for their own life. But while they left, they took the gospel message with them. And that's exactly what we're seeing here in verse 19. But the conclusion of this verse says that they were only going to Jews. Now let's look at verse 20. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists, also preaching the Lord Jesus. Now our story turns. They go to Antioch. Antioch was a major city in the first century. It was Sin City. It was the Las Vegas of that time. It was known for immoral lifestyle 
in particular, its sensuality. Yes, it had streets that were paved in marble. Yes, it had a a main street that extended for four miles and was the first city to have street lights. But the heart of the city was known for its sin. And you'll notice there that the gospel here comes to the Hellenists. Now, there are two different ways that this word can be used. In Acts chapter 6, Hellenists is used to speak of Jews who spoke the Greek language. But in our context here, it is used in a different way. It is speaking of Greeks who spoke the Greek language. There in Antioch, these were people who were Gentiles. They were not Jews. And the gospel is being advanced to them. Look at the next verse with me. Verse 21, And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. You see this wonderful expression, the hand of the Lord was with them. What does that mean? It is used in the Old Testament. The hand of the Lord can refer to God's wrath, but it can also refer to God's blessing. A year ago, we were working through the book of Nehemiah. And you might remember in in the early chapters of Nehemiah, Nehemiah had a burden for his city of Jerusalem. The walls had come tumbling down, and he wanted to go be a part of an effort to rebuild those walls. And so God put a very courageous plan. As a cupbearer, he would approach the king, who was not a Jew, and say, would you allow me to go back to Jerusalem with your supplies and your protection? Nehemiah chapter 2 verse 8 tells us that he was granted that, and the reason he was granted that is because the good hand of God was on him. Friend, you want the hand of God on you. You want the hand of God on your family, and we want the hand of God on our church as well. It speaks about being in the center of God's will. It's about knowing what God is leading you to do and to do it. This is exactly what was taking place here for these early Christians in Antioch. So here's the situation. There is a great number. That's the word that we see used here in Acts 11. There is a great number of new believers. They might know how to be saved, but do they know how to live for Christ? We had an experience similar to this when we went to Senegal in March. Jim and I had an opportunity to go to various places, but most notably two different islands. And one of these islands had the gospel shared with it for, for, for a year or so. And so there was a whole bunch of people there that were new believers. And so there was this urgency to get someone there that could stay with them for more than just day trips, but to live among them to be able to hold up the word of God and to review what it means not only to be saved, but to live for Christ. That's what's taking place here in Acts 11. There's this new group of believers in this sin city. And so what is the strategy of this early church? I've entitled this message, The Beginning of the Blueprint. Because I think as we look to the church that will exist here in Acts, Highland Crest can learn a lot about how this church functioned. This will become the model church 
where you will see missionary journeys emerge from. So what is their blueprint? What did they do? Well, the first thing we will see is they got appropriate leadership in place. Barnabas, a leader, is sent to Antioch. So let's look at verse 22. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came, he saw the grace of God, and he was glad. He exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. Make no mistake, loved ones, this was a critical decision on whom the mother church in Jerusalem would send to this new church in Antioch. To send a legalist. To send one who has yet to work out his Judaism and his Christianity. To send someone that might try to impose the Old Testament law or a a particular diet or even circumcision on these new Christians could be disastrous. So they needed to have a person that had a proven track record. And so they identified Barnabas. Barnabas, you go and you represent us here in the Mother Church in Jerusalem and you go encourage these new believers. So the first thing we see in Barnabas is he is a man of character. I'm skipping down to verse 24 where it says he was a good man. And what we're going to see here in the early church is in order to identify capable leaders, they did not necessarily look at their skill set or their charisma. They looked at the character of that man. It says here in verse 24, he was a good man. He was appropriate. He did what was reasonable. By the way, this is not the first time we have heard of Barnabas, is it? Keep your finger here and turn with me to the Acts chapter 4. Well, we'll read just a few verses there in verses 36 and verse 37. In Acts 4, it says here in verse 36, Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. There in Acts 4, there was this man who was from Cyprus, and seeing a need within the local church, he actually sold some property, and he gave that money to help those Christians that were in need. And so they they go back and look through their contact list, and they see Barnabas. He is an encourager. He would be ideal to send. He was not only a, a good man, a man of character, But we see also in verse 24 that he was empowered by God. It says here he was full of the Holy Spirit. This was not a morality that was birthed in himself. It was a work of God in him that he exhibited the fruits of the Spirit. He was walking in step with the will of God. In addition to that, he was not only full of the Spirit, but he was full of faith. We see it there. Full of the Holy Spirit, verse 24, and of faith. He was ideal to go to a situation where there was a whole bunch of baby Christians walking around. 
And you know, if they were brought up in a pagan culture there in Antioch, that they were not behaving like mature Christians quite yet. So instead of calling them out on every time they slipped up in sin, what he was able to do is not only look at their current state, but being a man full of faith, he was able to see, I believe this is where God could take this group. And what a wonderful thought. What a wonderful attribute for a Christian man or a woman to have, to be full of faith. Not only to see the present circumstances, but to see those circumstances and where they could be with God's help and God's empowerment. Not only this, Barnabas would use his spiritual gift of encouragement to build the church. So the first thing we see here is there is leadership established. And these leaders were identified by their character. Now, this is the early stages of this, but eventually in the New Testament church, there will be two different offices that emerge. The first is that of the elder. The elder, pastor, or shepherd has the responsibility of spiritual oversight and teaching. And there are qualifications in the New Testament that are based on his character. The second office that we see in the New Testament is that of the deacon. And this person is given the responsibility of administrative responsibilities or administrative oversight. And the deacon, too, has character qualities that they are to meet in order to serve in that office. We see the early form of that here as Barnabas is sent to the church of Antioch. And when he gets there, he operates from his spiritual gift. Do you know that if you are a child of God, if you're a son, a daughter of God, then you have been given a spiritual gift. It might be teaching, it might be mercy, it might be serving, it might be leadership. Barnabas' spiritual gift was that of encouragement. He could see a situation, and he could see how God was going to work good from it. In fact, we see a play on words here, here in Acts chapter 11, where it says in verse 23 that Barnabas was sent, the last part of verse 23, it says he exhorted them to to remain faithful to the Lord. In other words, the encourager, Barnabas, son of encouragement, the encourager was sent to encourage. And a healthy church will have people that know their spiritual gift and will operate in that spiritual gift. One of the blessings that I have here at Highland Crest is being here throughout the week. And so often during the days, this place is humming with activity. Whether it's people running wire, whether it's volunteers mowing the lawn, whether it's people looking into some video equipment. There are people all over here, just within the church campus, that are using their talents and their giftedness to build up the church. And I know that takes place outside of the church campus as well. Barnabas used his gift to build the church. Let me show you how he did that. In verse 23 it says, He saw the grace of God. Look with me again at verse 23. When Barnabas, when he came 
and saw the grace of God. Now, how can you see the grace of God? What does that mean? When Barnabas, the encourager, arrived, he would have known what the lifestyle of these Antioch citizens was like before they were a Christian. And now he sees evidence of them wanting to follow Jesus. He sees evidence of faith and love for Christ and for others. So to see the grace of God is to call attention to that. We have people like that within our church. My dad and his wife Jean are like that. When we get together with them, with our sons, they continually encourage them and us. And they'll see a a project that maybe that they're working on and they'll say, son, you are really special. And that just puts winds in their sails. There's been times where my wife has been at a department store or a grocery store and, and she's just in the middle of a grueling day and someone will come up and say, listen, I want to tell you, you are doing a great job. And it just changes the trajectory of her day instantly at that moment. Just seeing a, a, a wonderful thing in a person. Well, Barnabas goes and he identifies in Christians evidence of grace in their life. This is his approach to these new Christians. Not to beat them up, but to offer a pat on their back. Not only this, he had a glad disposition. You see it there in verse 23. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. Barnabas could have came with his arms folded like this. And with a critical eye, he could have identified all the areas that needed to improve immediately. But instead, he was with the people. And he loved the people. And he had a glad disposition. And in addition to that, he encouraged the new believers to follow Jesus. And you might say there, well, of course he did that. Well, let's look at again here at verse 23. He was glad and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For a new believer, he wanted to keep it really simple. You just follow Jesus. This past week, uh, Rob sat down and he, he interviewed Scott and Denise and, and that video uh, taking up the next couple of chapters of the master plan of evangelism was, was uploaded in our church uh, YouTube page. And I remember one thing that Scott said that stuck out to me. He says, we as a church, we are Jesus people. And that is exactly right. But you know something that can happen to us? As the time goes on, we can get involved in so much Christian activity that we actually lose sight of just following Jesus. Do you remember the story of Mary and Martha? Remember what Jesus said to Martha? You are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Mary had chosen to focus on Jesus. And that is a word for all of us here. We will see at the last part of verse 26, where it says, And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. If you've ever wondered, where did that word come from? Christians. It came in Antioch. 
And contrary to what you might think, it was not a word of compliment. It was a word of derision. It was as if the people there in Antioch would look at these followers of Christ and as if to say these are Christ ones. That suffix, I-A-N-S, it just means belonging to the party of. And it would say, these people belong to Jesus. It wasn't necessarily intended to be a compliment. So we bear the name of Christ if you are a Christian. It reminds me of a story I heard of Alexander the Great. Uh, One day, there was a soldier within his ranks that was a notorious coward. And ironically, that coward's name was Alexander. And so Alexander the Great, who had conquered the world by age 23, called the soldier before him and said, Is your name Alexander, and are you named for me? The trembling coward said, Yes, sir, my name is Alexander, and I was named for you. The great general said, then either be brave or change your name. And as Christians, we are called to follow Christ because we bear the name of Christians, Christ ones. And this is what Barnabas was doing. Is he was, was directing the people just to follow Jesus. Let's just keep it simple. And then we will also see as a part of this, is that he involved others to complement his ministry. We're looking here at the blueprint of the early church. Barnabas came to a place where he realized, there is too much responsibility here for me to do this. So I need to, to find someone else, a person with another giftedness that can come alongside and, and complement the ministry that God has given to me here. So let's read about that. We read about it here in verse 25. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. Now the last time we saw Saul was in Acts 9. Remember, he was a persecutor of the church and God had radically saved him. Then we followed this path from there where three years following his conversion, he went to Arabia to be in the desert, and this was his seminary training. And now seven years have passed. Now why would Barnabas have chosen Saul? You might remember a part of Saul's story is that he would become a spokesman to the Gentiles. His ministry was to the non-Jews. Harry Ironside, a, a famous preacher, using some sanctified imagination, pictured it this way. Here is Saul, who has been on the shelf for about 10 years. And he is sitting in a room wondering, can God ever use me? Could God ever use a man with such a, a, a tarnished past like myself? Here I've got all this information. Here I've studied. Here I've got all this insight of the gospel, but no one to share it with. And then there is a knock at the door, and it is Barnabas who says, I've got a job for you. Can you come with me to Antioch, where there is a whole bunch of new Christians? 
and you have an opportunity to teach them. If you remember Saul, he was a Pharisee. He had received an exquisite education. He was a member of the Sanhedrin, the Supreme Court. He would have been a very skilled teacher. So now you have the teacher, and you have the encourager, and they make a dynamic duo in the church of Antioch. You'll see there in verse 26 that they spend a whole year within this church. I think of my time in in, in church life here in Wisconsin and Michigan. Just 10 years ago, there was a time where many of our Bible studies that were being produced were 12 or 13 weeks. And it was nothing for people to participate in something like that. Then even in my time, I've seen it go to eight weeks and now to the the six weeks. Because people don't want to commit to a, a couple of months to a study. But you'll notice here that Paul or Saul and Barnabas were with these new Christians for a whole year. And you'll see the priority of teaching the word of God. We saw this also in Acts 6 when there was a need to to create the deacon office because it was taking these apostles away from the teaching of the word. This was to be the priority of discipleship, to take the Bible, to spend time with people, and to teach them the gospel and how to live for Christ. And then this leads to a challenge. We'll, We'll wrap up our passage here by looking at the challenge that takes place in 27 through 30. The new believers were challenged to express their faith by investing in a group of people that were different than them. So this is the blueprint of the beginning. People are using their spiritual giftedness. Leadership has been established, but then these new Christians are being challenged. Follow along with me as we look at verse 27 and following. Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. Let me just pause there. There is a spiritual gift of the prophet that exists for today. And that is a one who identifies a situation and speaks forthrightly about it. Referring to the word of God and saying, this is what God's word says about this situation. And they don't really care too much about your feelings. It's all about proclaiming what God's word says. But there was another office in the New Testament of the prophet that not only spoke forthrightly, but foretold an event. And this was a temporary office, and that's what we see here in this passage. Look with me at verse 28. And one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined, everyone according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. This prophet foretold of a famine that would take place during the years of Claudius' rule. Claudius ruled from 41 to 54 after Christ. And this famine did take place in the years 45 through 46. And so here's what the prophet said. You new believers, you have an opportunity to take up an offering 
and invest in the Jews there in Jerusalem. You have an opportunity to be a blessing to the people who have blessed you by bringing this gospel message. And do you find it ironic that one of the first challenges that were given to this Gentile church was to find a people of a different ethnic group than them and to invest in them. And aren't you grateful for a living word? I can't help but think of the implications for the day at the last couple of weeks that we have been living in. As we think about a way of expressing the gospel taking root in our lives, and bearing fruit with it. Could we improve upon this application that we see here in Acts 11? To identify with people that are not like us. Here in Green Bay, we have an assortment of options. Where we live, my wife and I live, we're actually kind of a minority because we have the Oneida like right across the street where we we get to know and rub shoulders with. But there's also Hispanics, there's also Asians, and there's awful Africans. And, and what we talked about yesterday morning with Roman and Drew was, yes, it's nice to have a conversation like this, but there's certainly more value in, in doing more than talking, but actually befriending and getting to know people that are different than us, bringing our children right along with us, and finding out life from their perspective as well. We know how the story begins where there is creation and there is a fall, but we also know how the story ends. And that is found in Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, where the scriptures record, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, and people, and language, standing before the, th- the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. History is going in this direction where every ethnic group will be represented in giving the proper praise to our glorious Jesus. And may we not wait for that. Instead, may we take the cues that we see here from the book of Acts, Acts 11, where we invest. Yeah, they did it financially, but may we do more than that and invest our time in getting to know and serving others, not only that look like us, but don't look like us. As we conclude today, we have the blueprint here of the beginning. The church of Antioch will be that great model church for us. And we'll be learning more about that in the coming weeks. Well, let's glean from it what we can here as we see how it began. Let's pray together. How encouraging it is, our great God, to see that the gospel not only went to religious people like the Jews, but it also went to outright pagans, steeped in sin like those in Antioch. And like Barnabas had the eyes of faith to be able to see a situation where it may have looked overwhelming at the time 
please give us the eyes of faith as well to see our family, to see the people we work with, to see our neighborhood and say, you know what, God, you, you want to do a work here. How do you want me to join you in that? Lord, I thank you that you have not made us all the same. You you have us in different ethnic groups. We appreciate that. And may we love one another, those who are like us and those who are not like us. And may the gospel be proven. May evidence of that fruit be in how we love our neighbors. In Jesus' name, amen.